Welcome to another FinTech Insider News Show. This is a state of the union. We're actually live from, we're, well, I'm alive, so we're going to call it live. But we're from Cabbage's offices in Atlanta. So this show is going to be, the first part is going to be all about Atlanta. And, and for those of you that are so confused right now because you're hearing all these voices, I'm Sam Mall, the managing partner for 11FS North America. We've had a, a nutty week with 11FS as usual. The last show they did last week, they were on a pub crawl. The good news is Cabbage office does have beer on tap. Oh, yeah. So we're walking down there right after this, but it's kind of early. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on the break, I'm getting a beer, um, and I'll, we'll, we'll uh, decide if we should have had that before the show or not. So the guests for these shows, and I'm going to go from my left, listeners, you're right, and work our way around. We have the one and only, and oh my God, I'm still going to say this name wrong, Catherine Petrelli. Petralia. Tyson Petrelli. Petralia. Well, you're, you're one of the Cabbage co-founders. Correct. On Forbes list, top 100, and I just got the eye roll, number 98, everybody. So literally, for the rest of the show, as per her co-founder Rob's request, she will call her 98. I think that's fantastic. Just because you can't pronounce her last name. Yes. I can say Catherine. (laughs) Petralia is not hard. You can say, I bet you guys can say Petralia. 98. Oh, I'm even happier now. guy. I'm so, going to start talking about lactation right away. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about lactation, Peachtree Street, and uh, surnames. Then we have Joe Kleinwechter. Joe, did I actually say that right? Wow. And See, you couldn't get control. Cool. You can't say my name. You can say Kleinwechter. <laughs> I phonetically he studied for half hour it. before he got here. Joe's he was the, practicing 98 is the problem. So Joe's the VP of Innovation and Design at WorldPay here. First of all, before we get on to you, Ginger, um, Catherine, if you want to give a shout out to Cabbage, what is Cabbage? Who are you guys? And what do you do real quick? Um, our data and technology platform enables real-time lending to small businesses. We do it directly in the U.S. We've deployed about $4 billion to 130,000 small businesses. We also license our technology to big banks around the world. One of the most successful fintech company stories in the U.S., and it just is. And Catherine's being humble. All right, Joe, WorldPay. You do pay around the world, we obviously. Do. And even more world. Uh, we're, as of last week, we are have merged with uh, one of the largest North America providers, uh, Merchant Acquires, Inventive. And we are now labeled as World Pay uh, with uh, offices, major offices in Cincinnati, Atlanta, um, London, Austin, and a couple of other cities. So uh, we're we're gotten big this week. We're now the world's largest uh, merchant acquirer. And there you go. And you're also, then, you're well-branded for global exploration. Like when we go to Mars, you can still be world pay. Yeah, you don't exactly. have to change your brand. <laughs> and that's important, that. right? Branding is, is everything. Ginger, because we're going to talk about branding right now. Ginger Schmelzer, who the last time I interviewed you gave me crap, like literally the entire so interview. So I never do that it to was you. Unbe- it was painful. However, so you are the founder of GDS Advisors. Advisors. Yes, so strateg- I do strategy consulting to the payments and banking industry. And GDS, you got that name from? Those are my initials. Yes, they are, because she's the Very most creative, creative marketer I Very know. Very creative marketing. But yeah, so I, my background, I've, I've been running my own consulting firm for almost three years. Prior to that, I was uh, looked after emerging payments at Fiserv, which is where I met Joe. Um, and prior to that, I was at SunTrust running digital banking. So. And Ginger's not going to brag about herself, so I will. So Ginger, oh God, I don't know how many years running, American Banker had to listen to one of the most powerful women in payments and in banking in the U.S. And Most influential, not most powerful. You were... You were Influence is power. Maybe. I'm not number 98 on the Forbes list. No one's number 98. There's only one 98. And she's in this room. I'm feeling so inadequate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then there'll be alumni thing, you know? All the 98s get together, some big party. (laughs) All right, so let's... Let's talk about Atlanta a little bit for the first part of this uh, show. Um, you know, San Francisco has Silicon Valley. New York has Silicon Alley. 
Um, we got Silicon Prairie. Atlanta is known as Transaction Alley. Why? For the for our listeners across the world, why why well, get that now? Seventy percent of the transactions, uh, payment transactions, come through a company that's in this area. Um, it's 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 an amazing. Back in long time ago, back in 1987, um, it, you know, Georgia was known for putting limits that were much easier on businesses for credit card limits and able to do business, uh, and also on and taking off caps on on transaction fees. So it drew a bunch of companies into town, and uh, that growth has been. Um, has propelled itself like a tornado around here. It's uh, if there's somebody in fintech in the payment space, they're in Atlanta somehow. And that was that like you said was that the 90s when that 87? happened? 87. So okay, you I, can go I back further here. in time too to mm. ni- to the late 50s when the Fed tested automated payments for the first time in the Atlanta region, mm-hmm. and so that also created some technology companies more on the not on the credit card side but on the ACH transaction processing uh-huh. side. So and you have Tesis down in um, right. Columbus exactly, and now a bunch of folks have moved here. But it's it's really it goes back pretty far. Yeah, and most people don't realize how many companies are headquartered here, right? Not just TSIS down in Columbus. You've got First Data, you've got uh, NCR, you've got WorldPay, you've global got payments. Global, um, you've got Fiserv, Fiserv. and FIS with big presence here, right? So you have just a lot of payments companies that have a big presence here and run a lot of their transactions through the Atlanta area. So it's it's what, the 30 or 40,000 jobs that are loosely around FinTech in the area and something like $7 trillion worth of payments is processed through the city. So it's... Something like 60% of FinTech jobs are in Atlanta at the moment. Yeah, money 2020, all the flights out to Vegas are full of fintech people. You know everybody on the plane. It's a reunion. On the, every flight out to Vegas during 2020 is a reunion. Are you all na- Atlanta natives? Mm-mm. No. So this is, I li- live in Florida. No one's from Florida. And I grew up in Florida. Which part? Trampa. Uh-huh. You did go up in Florida. <laughs> That's a very uh, U.S.-centric joke, but so accurate, so appropriate. by the way. So mm. appropriate. Where'd you grow up, Joe? All over. As an army brat, so everywhere from Alaska to Germany to northern Wisconsin. To... If it was cold and freezing, I was there. Ginger? Annapolis, Maryland. I can see that. That's yeah. the coolest yeah, yeah, yeah. place. Yeah. I love it. That's better than my place. A lot yeah. better. The tramp is okay. Trampa's, you know, it's trying. It's great so, beaches nearby. Who, who's been in Atlanta the longest? How long have you been in Atlanta, Jim? I moved here in 95. Joe? Uh, 30 years. Okay. I moved here in 92. Okay, so you, you, is, is it safe to say you've seen the city change then? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right where we're sitting has changed immensely in the last 10 years. This Well, we've been in this space for seven years, I think. And um, when we first moved here, it was even different than it is now. It's, you know, it, was, it wasn't considered unsafe, but it certainly wasn't well-developed. It was still transitional. When my wife, uh, back in, let me see, late, early 90s, bought her house, she bought it in what was called, what is South Forth, now it's North of South Forsyth County, which is north of here. At the time, um, it, it was all over the news because of a lot of the racial tension that was going on in the marches and things like that. And I, I looked at her and said, why in the heck did you buy a house way up there? And I'm thinking, that's out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Cow pastures around our house. Um, right now, it's one of the highest uh, density um, valuation and properties in the country. Uh, it, is, it is a very big uh, center of wealth. It's a very big center of, of uh, it's a bedroom community, but at the same time, a very th- thriving sort of uh, community as well. Um, it's changed to the point you you can't see a horse farm anywhere near where we are now and that's 35 miles north of here why do you think atlanta then and i'm gonna be blunt right why do you think atlanta doesn't have that reputation of being a fintech hub if i was to go to a london office if i was to go to hong kong if i was to go out to silicon valley and say atlanta is an incredibly strong fintech hub 
I would probably get some smiles and say, eh, I don't Depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to venture capitalists, they have no idea. They know a little bit more now, but they certainly five years ago wouldn't have had any idea. But it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to people who understand technology, if they know fintech, then they know Atlanta's a great place for that. It's also how they're defining fintech, right? So if they're talking about fintech as cool startups and lots of investment happening and stuff, then then yeah, Silicon Valley is going to out, outshine everybody all the time or Boston or New York, right? But if you're talking about where a lot of actual financial technology is resident and happening and, and facilitating all of those startups, Atlanta's what you're looking at. So it's really about how you're thinking about it. Yeah, and I think you'll see that um, evidenced by the fact that I think we got that as well, uh, you know, several years ago, um, uh, the former CEO of, of WorldPay formed and with a consortium of people called the ATPC, the uh, was it Atlanta Transaction Processors Coalition, which was for the purpose of trying to represent the payment space and transaction pa- processing uh, at a government level, soon followed on by really um, what's called FinTech Atlanta, a group of competitors in a large way, um, together to try to make people know, it's kind of like Horton Hears a Who, that, you know, here we are, uh, you need to hear about us. And, it, and it's it's kind of working pretty well. Uh, we've got companies moving uh, on a regular basis, startups moving from even London. We even had one just recently uh, from Virginia. Uh, groups like ATDC are bringing in these companies and actually getting them to move to Atlanta because all the big boys are here. Is it primarily transactional or payments focused, or is it broader than that? Because Cabbage isn't payments, right? I mean, you're lending. We are, I would say, yes, we do. We are a lender and we facilitate lending, but we also are a payments business in many ways. I mean, we're moving lots and lots of dollars, lots of different places and lots of different ways. We have to be really good at payments um, in order for our business to be effective. What do you define fintech as? I think it's, it it is similar to AI and similar to um, cryptocurrency, meaning it is so poorly defined and so broad. When people talk about AI changing the world, I always laugh because I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Which part? Yeah. <laughs> what, which component of it are you taking? To me, fintech is so broad in nature, right? Because we could talk about fintech and then we could talk about subcategory. We can talk about regtech. We can talk about insuretech. We can talk about yeah. cryptocurrency, right? We can dip into AI. We can talk about lending. I mean, we can talk about real estate. We, we can start blending out. And that's the best part about this podcast then, because we can talk to literally anybody we want to. So to me, it's an incredibly broad topic. It is is funny, though, when I when I talk about Atlanta, and here's why. I left Atlanta in 2001. So I worked here. I spent the 90s working here. I worked on the top end perimeter. I worked for Northern Trust, and I did uh, wealth management at the time. I lived way outside the city, Bartow County. If you look right now, the one thing that you may not be aware, Sam, is the 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 massive migration of companies into Midtown is is like something I, I'd never seen before. Um, as an engineer and with an engineering background, I used to always love to live out in the north because that's where all the companies were doing work. Uh, you got companies like WorldPay moving down uh, three years ago down to Midtown. You've got NCR now just opened up their big facilities over here, um, and you've got the ma- a mass moving into Midtown, and it's really causing some great dynamics because you've got a lot of engineering talent that's way out in the burbs having to come down in town to to live that or to work. Now they're thinking about living down here, and it's a it's a very different place than even ten years ago. Luckily, we have this awesome public transportation infrastructure oh, to support God, that. Really? Yeah, that's my eyes rolling. You can't hear that probably on the podcast. So Marta, Marta is great if you live along the rail line. Like yeah. I live along the Marta line, and I love Marta. North, south, east, west. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. That's Marta. That's it. But Unless if you don't live right on a rail line, it's challenging. And we all keep hoping that you know the, the things like Amazon or other some other company is going to come here to force Marta to wake up and say we need some money in the city to to because if if anything in the Amazon space for instance the one thing everybody acknowledges over and over again that that we lack 
we, I think we're, we're killer on almost everything. It's the transportation part. And, and the, the word is that if you come, we'll build it, right? So where I live in Jacksonville, right outside our airport, Amazon has a massive hub, massive warehouse and distribution center, and actually another one out by my home. And it's hilarious because they've been doing work on a, on a new toll road out where I live for six years. Amazon came in and in a year paid for their own road to go from th- their headquarters that they built or their, their huge distribution center around to the airport in a year. I've been there six years. That other work is still going on. Amazon crushed it in literally a handful of months. Are you guys on the list for Amazon's HQ? We are. We were at one time considered odds on favorite. Um, I think that's sliding a little bit. I think the latest list shows three cities from uh, three three areas right around D.C. And my my gut tells me it's going to be D.C. Well, since the yeah, since three of the cities are right there. Yeah, I just uh, interviewed um, the chief storyteller of Detroit, which is just a cool title, by the way. Worse for the mayor's that's a real office. Title? It's a real title, real job. And it's really cool. And it's the episode that you obviously haven't listened to yet, so you can leave, Joe. But no, it's a really it's a really um, interesting. I think a great uh, act that the mayor took because he hired this guy local to come in and tell the story of Detroit. And that was one of the things that Dan Gilbert from Quicken Loans was um, love him or hate him in Detroit. And that's the only two things. They either love him or hate him. He's bought up a ton of real estate there. But he was in charge of the whole Amazon project and tried to get into him. They didn't make the cut. I think that would have been a great place, by so the way. Why? Just, too, just, just from a philanthropic perspective, almost, to help that whole region. Yeah. That's my hometown. That was part of the reason I interviewed him. I grew up there. But I, I wanted to see them. I wanted to be at, see it be someplace other than the norm. It would have made me happy, but, but oh well. The other thing I think is interesting about uh, Atlanta, especially this part, we've got Georgia Tech. So you can talk about engineering school, right? My, my first job in, in banking, if you will, was with an actuarial firm here in Atlanta. And literally, the founder was on the board at Georgia Tech, and everybody that worked there was from Georgia Tech. It was also over like 6'4", and then there was me. <laughs> Not an engineering grad, and I'm definitely nowhere near, you know, I'm closer to 5'4 than 6'. <laughs> Go figure. But, and you also have Emory. I mean, you've, you've got great schools. Georgia State is downtown, right? So how many of your employees are actually from Atlanta and went to Atlanta schools? Now I'm putting pressure on Cabbage here. I, I have no idea. But our people ops folks would be able to tell us. We don't call it HR. What do you call it? What do you call people it? People ops. People, I love everything. Cabbage that's like is cool. The, that's like the you know new economy way of referring to HR. How hard is it to to find talent though um, for for a company like Cabbage, which has grown? You're up what, over 300 now. Four hundred. Um, close to 400. But we we're in four offices. We've got about 70 folks in Bangalore um, that are employees. They're um, more on the analytics side, not okay. not technology. And um, all of our software developers are here in Atlanta. Um, and then we've got a few folks. We've got like 15 people in um, San Francisco and 10 in New York. So are you recruiting locally, though? Mm-hmm, we are, and it's it's not hard to find people here. Um, for us, it, we're in a, a bit of a fortunate position that we're a place that people want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easier for us to attract people than it might have been, you know, five years ago because now folks know who we are. Um, but I, I, there's the, the the thing is the old economy companies like the big payments companies, yeah. um, and I don't mean that as a slight. I think um, that they're not working on necessarily the newest technology. They're supporting a lot of you know older infrastructures, and I think maybe that work isn't quite as exciting or appealing. I don't know how much beer you guys have in the office, but beer helps. Ping pong. Well, helps. wait a minute. You got. I, I've walked through the office. We've got. We, we, they were bringing in lunch, the free lunch. Yes. When I got here, I saw the billiard table, the ping pong table, the Sopranos. Um, oh, the video game. That's video Rob's game. fault. He, when he got a, brought Galaga. in a whole bunch of old video games. Yeah, that's fantastic, by the way. You got the cartoon drawings on the wall. It, I, if, if I 
did a video and walked around the room and asked people where this was, I guarantee you no one would say Atlanta. That 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 I nobody would think that. Into. I agree, but they we didn't. It's not like we were trying like to copy Google or something. We didn't yeah. read a book. We just wanted to to be a place we wanted to work, and we didn't want to go out for lunch. And I like wine, so there you go. <laughs> that that is so dead on because I know that um, you know I've always been dead set against the ping pong culture in terms of. Build a ping pong table and people will want to come work for you. It's, it's the opposite. Get a bunch of people that to get together and they're going to going to want a ping pong table because they want to be around each other because they're working together, they're shoulder to shoulder. Because nobody wants to play ping pong with an asshole, right? They they want to play with their friends. So the reason ping pong and and all this stuff works here is because that's organic culture that grew from the good people they got here, as opposed to, you know put up a fake environment like a lot of people do and put pods up, sleeping pods, and, and then wait for people to come and draw it in. And that, that, that's just backwards. So I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I know a very large bank that um, put together an innovation team, and they basically just took over one of the floors in their 50-story building and said, this is the innovation team now. And literally, they put the ping pong table right outside the door when you came in, and they put signs like, think like a startup, and that was it, right? Yeah. And suddenly it was an innovation lab. And it didn't go well. And I can't wonder why that didn't work. And Ginger, how many times have we seen that in our consulting days, right? That's right. Impose, impose an innovation mindset. That doesn't work that way. You can't, you can't just make that happen. There's a lot more about our, being organic and having the right people. You have to have the right people to set the tone. So we, when I worked for Tesis, Catherine, I don't know if you knew that. I used to work for Tesis in Columbus, Georgia. So I moved from here. I left Atlanta to go to Columbus, Georgia. Because I married somebody from Columbus, Georgia. There's a reason. Was that a 44-mile commute as well? That was a long commute. I've um, been down there many times. Now, you know, they are growing. consistently rated one of the best places to work. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so is Cabbage, by the way, your top 100. I'll well, we were, that was the glass door thing, which is for our size. But, I mean, yeah. Jesus is a huge company. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's really hard to make a, a big company like that a place that people really want to work. Yeah, Tisa is, is interesting because um, it, it basically, early 70s, started in a back room. Right, a uh, little back room of a bank, Sonovus Bank, Sonovus. as a matter of fact, um, and grown into this global processing uh, powerhouse uh, right up there with, with First Data, right, the, the two that are in this town. So, yeah, it is interesting because I am, I am well aware of the different companies and, um, and what's taking place in Atlanta, but it, it is funny, again, when I walk around and I'm at Money 2020 in Amsterdam, for example, or I'm in Hong Kong or I'm in Singapore and I'm talking about it the name just doesn't come up. And I don't know if that's a marketing thing or if it's a, nobody really gives a shit. <laughs> well, you and Barry McCarthy yeah. should get together and talk to FinTech Atlanta sometime. And I, he's got stories Let's talk about FinTech stories Atlanta. and stories. <laughs> so what is FinTech Atlanta? It's a consortium. It's, a, it's really to try to improve the view and the lot of Atlanta as the FinTech capital of the world because we really believe that. We really do believe that. And I think Barry and, and actually all of all the member representation there um, are very, very focused on uh, things like education, you know, making sure that the, we have the right things to, to bring people up in the, in the community as well as educating the rest of the world, uh, building the programs necessary so that, you know, it's, it's, it's literally uh, Horton Hears a Who. There's this big village going on, and, and people may not know it outside of here, but I'll tell you, in the southeast, everybody knows it. Yeah. Uh, and actually going to, I'd say Chicago, I think we're somewhat known, uh, maybe not as high. But if you go anywhere, let's say from Austin up to Boston, uh, wow, that's pretty That was well really done. nice. Wow. wow. I'm done. Was that in your notes? Yeah. Yeah, we've, got, we've got Horton in the Who and Austin in Boston. Was, you missed your calling. That was fantastic. Sam, I am. There we go. Oh, God. 98. That doesn't rhyme with anything, yeah. but I had to throw it out there again. 
Yeah, it's um, it was interesting. So when I moved here again and and went to work here in the early '90s, it was is Atlanta or Charlotte going to become the banking hub of this? And and I think to some degree, Charlotte is a that's it, a it is a banking hub, right? You got Bank of America. You go down South Tyrod Street, bank banks, the ba- bank banks. That's I'm just trying to play no. for Dr. No, Susan. I like it. Yeah, no, bank good. banks. Yeah, so it, that's bank banks, and this is. Tech tech? I don't know. What's the difference? <laughs> well, if you think, I, I, the way I think about it, the reason that Atlanta's not registering in all the conferences you're going to is that all the hype is around the startups and the investments exactly. and the VCs. Yeah. Atlanta's the backbone, right? We are the backbone for all of the fintech. For all, for, for, we're the backbone for payments in the U.S. So if you want to make something happen, any of those fintech startups are having to work through an Atlanta company to, to make their products work. So it's not registering as hip and cool and interesting at the conferences because it's not getting all the money in the, besides a couple of notable exceptions, not getting all of that kind of glitzy attention. But it is the underlying it's facilitator the, of everything that's happening. It's the payments engine. Is yes, that a good, is. nice way of putting it? Yes, it is. Um, and there are startups here in Atlanta. There is, ATDC has a fintech track. I mean, mm-hmm. WorldPay invested in it. There's, there are companies here, Greenlight, Grow Solutions, Cabbage, obviously. There's a number of companies that are doing really good work. Um, but so Atlanta still is challenged on the investment side of things, right? We have a lot of, if you look at our average deal size, it's much larger because the, the investors that are here are investing in larger, more established companies, by and large. You don't have a lot of angel and smaller. So a lot of this kind of feeding of small companies getting started and then growing, it's not happening as much here as it is in the Valley. Or but it's else. sticking though too. If you look at the if you look at the Kaufman index on 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 um, on growth entrepreneurial, yep. entrepreneurial growth, I mean Atlanta was third, mm-hmm. third in the list, up from fifteen a year ago for companies' wow. success after five years, third uh, in in the in the growth index overall for all of the index markers. Georgia was second, Atlanta was fifth, ahead of Silicon Valley, ahead of San Jose, ahead of Boston. Uh, those 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 numbers speak loudly. It, I think what it is is we just are, we got to get the PR about it because the stuff is here. Well, so. it takes time as well, right? Silicon Valley yeah. didn't become a success overnight either. Right. Atlanta has to grow. We have to have more successful exits, more successful companies, more successful CEOs that move on to do the next thing and the next thing, and that it, that starts to organically grow. Right? And they stay here. And they stay that's here. the other thing. And historically, a lot of folks have sold their company and they moved on, and they're not investing in the community. You're seeing a little more of that though with. Um, um, Pete Kite, so he was mm-hmm. the founder of Check Free. He has sold they sold at the Pfizer for four billion dollars, I think, and he has a new fund um, that he started up, and he's really engaged in the Atlanta fintech community. And then um, Cummings, David Cummings, who started the um, ATV Atlanta Technology Village, you're seeing people. He sold Pardot, um, so I feel like companies are or founders are beginning to invest in Atlanta, but they didn't before. So, Catherine, your experience with with, um, with Cabbage. So, correct me if I'm wrong. Founded. You picked a great year, I think 2008, 2009, coming right out of the crash? Yeah, it's the perfect time to raise money for a technology company that's <laughs> making loans to small businesses. So so when you guys did that, though, again, you were based out of Atlanta. So when you were doing your your, your seed rounds and you were raising funding, were you doing it here locally? Um, well, we tried. I, I'll, I'm going to tell you a story, and I shouldn't say this, and I'm not going to say who it was. But there was there's a local venture firm that's been here for more than 10 years. They pitched to their LPs the reason that they should invest in this venture firm in their fund is because they get lower valuations on Atlanta companies because there's no competition for funding. Wow. They're carpetbaggers. They live here in Atlanta, and they're car- carpetbaggers. It is incredible that they are taking advantage of Atlanta entrepreneurs. So every dollar of our institutional money came from outside of Atlanta, mostly West Coast. Well, I mean, it's a, a it's a fairly well-known story in, in the right circles around Cabbage that the initial half a million that you were trying to raise was one of the most painful 
processes <laughs> that you ever went through. It was pretty bad. And took forever and a day to, to raise that, right? Because you, you didn't really go, I don't know if the right word's alive, but it was 2011 was the big kickoff year, right? It was. We had, um, our system was up and running in mid-2010. We, um, we, we started trying to do stuff, I guess, late 2008, early 2009, started raising money that summer. Um, we didn't close. We didn't break escrow till like October of 2009 on our the first two million that we raised, and then um, the next the said the, the um, winter of 2010 is when we got our first institutional round. So is, is seed capital in Atlanta? If I go to New York, right, I can find a million different capital investment firms. Is this more of going to a world payer at Tesis or or what, Ginger? I mean, who does? It's, it's, I mean, there's there is seed capital here. There's just not the the amount of it that there is in other markets, right? There's 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 more conservative investors here. They're more reluctant to get involved at earlier stage. They want to see proven models. They want to see proven revenue streams. They want to see million dollar plus annual revenue before they want to invest. And that's not. That's well, not, not startup seed investing. capital. Yeah, exactly. Right. We do have tech stars, though. Mm-hmm. And ATDC, both, yeah. which are two big names. Uh, and a- and ATV, around. too. And, and ATV. I mean, they're all, they're all providing some. Right. The interesting thing about ATDC, I mean, it's in the, it's one of the best kept secrets uh, outside of Atlanta. Inside of Atlanta, it's very well known. It's a, it's a government funded, state government funded organization. Um, it sits on Georgia Tech's campus, right in the heart of the business school, um, and right just right around the corner from here. And they've had some big names. I mean, I, I can't remember was it. Uh, I think of the. Th- Three or four uh, winners in the Money 2020 contest, I believe, three or four of them were from, from Atlanta. Three of the four were ATDC companies, were, were related to ATDC companies. So they're, they're producing a lot of stuff without taking a lot of credit for what's going on. Um, but it's a, it's a brilliant combination of Georgia Tech uh, talent and and talent pool combined with a lot of people that are in the business, that are business people starting these companies, uh, along with uh, funding from, from the state of Georgia. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice combination. You know what surprises me about Atlanta? And I'm not, uh, I, I've done my share of conferences. <laughs> Right, Ginger. Yeah. Ginger introduced me. Ginger introduced me to Uber way back in the day in Which Phoenix. Which I was proud of for a long time. Now, not so much. Yeah, well, yeah. we're proud of it anyway. You're a Lyft person now. But I mean, it depends but, where you are. What you can. You, <laughs> yeah, but literally, we would see each other at every conference because there was a period of time where we were everywhere. So I'm not saying that you, you have to become um, inundated with conferences. But is there a major conference that takes place in Atlanta that I'm not aware of? I've been to BAI here, I think. That's that the only thing the I can think BAI of. I've been here, to my knowledge. Yeah. I don't think there's a permanent a conference bank. in Atlanta. I'm surprised Lend360 has yeah. been here before, um, but not. it's not permanent. Why not? Atlanta's actually, I think, set up well for conferences. It is, actually. We've got some large centers, lots of hotel rooms. Great airport. Um, the airport is really, really fantastic. And there are a lot of conferences that happen in Atlanta, just not in the banking industry. Well, the reality is, though, we were making fun of MARTA, the mass transit. If you did have a conference in Midtown, downtown, whatever this is, well, MARTA, goes, Marta right to, goes right to the airport. It's right there. Yeah, and the World Congress Center, is that what it's called? The yes. big MARTA goes right there? to it. Yeah, this place is made for conferences. What the heck? We have a lot of strip clubs. Like I said, this place is made for conferences. (laughs) So I think we've come to the consensus that Atlanta actually is a fintech hub, depending on what your definition of fintech is, but a massive presence here and growing. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the numbers from last year, this year. Well, you you quoted them, right? right. That that growth rate is ridiculous. So we'll, we'll have a link to the Kaufman thingy what's it called the, the coffin index yeah he's got notes in front of him he's cheating i know um, i'm really impressed by i know that. Catherine's doing everything off the top of her head i got my laptop in front of me ginger's shaking ginger her actually head. knows things yeah ginger's actually really smart joe and i we're cheating <laughs> we here's, the, here's the one stat okay, I give me your stat. Use, my, here's the stat here. i've been dying to do just to suck up to give Catherine. it to me give it to me uh of the three u.s-based companies in kpmg's fintech 100 cabbage was one of the three 
coming at number 10. And only two other companies were U.S.-based. All the rest were Asian or European. I believe so. that China, Chinese? Yeah, China. I mean, it started with, you know, Ant, I didn't even course. know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. The KPMG Fintech 100. Uh, you didn't know that, Kevin? 30, no. of, the, of the 100, 30, I love these stats. That's, that's why I was just, I was just like, oh, my God, You're I didn't know geek. this. I love it. Uh, engineering background. 32 were in the lending space of the Fintech I 100. I believe that. And 21 were in payments. I mean, 53 it should be between, the other way around. Yeah, but that's Most what, lenders don't even use technology. But that's what fintech has been forever today, right? It's payments, basically focus, and then you'd say lending. But I, I would agree with you, right? What's your definition of lending? I mean, an online application is not technology. Oh, oh yeah. thank you. No, <laughs> Credit we're a tech card companies have been doing that since the 90s. Yeah, thank you. That's a, I've actually, yeah, I've just used that quote with Rob right before this when I was interviewing oh, yeah, your other co-founder. We're bitter. We're obviously very bitter about this. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. All right, we're going we're gonna to throw to a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some of the stories that are in the news today. We're going to focus a lot on pay, uh, payments and lending. What a shocker. All right? FinTech innovation is changing the way we bank, and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right FinTech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. All right, we want to thank you, all, as always, to our sponsors. So welcome back to Fintech Insider's State of the Union Show edition here in Atlanta. We're at the Cabbage office in Midtown on Peachtree Street. What a shocker. We're on Peachtree Street. As a reminder, Fintech Insider is brought to you by 11FS, Venture Builders for the Digital Age. Really? We wrote that? I like that. Venture Builders for the Digital Age. That sounds like a David Breerism. We help organizations understand the future to execute change. We're building propositions for clients big and small. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us at 11FS.com. Connect on Twitter at 11FS Team or drop me an email at sam at 11fs.com. The 11FS media team who produces this podcast also produces Connection Interrupted. Oh, my God, I'm so glad they put this in there because that's my podcast. It's a weekly show about how technology changes lives and unique personal journeys as a result and Blockchain Insider, the weekly rundown of all things happening in blockchain and DLT. But listen to Connection Interrupted first because it's mine and Blockchain Insider's, Simon's, and mine's more important. But although everybody loves blockchain, Right now, oh my God! To quote Rob Frohein, the the co-founder of Cabbage, blockchain is the shit. He said that. Did you know that at Lendit? He said that. He said the. He said blockchain is the shit. Unbelievable. Articles are important. Well, they are. All right. All of these shows are available on iTunes um, or your favorite podcast client. So please subscribe if you love them. Don't forget to give us a review. All right. So we're we're gonna jump into a couple of uh, stories and get y'all's feedback since y'all. I'm gonna keep saying y'all. Is like that, that fake or is that Do you real? really say that? I do because I've lived, I moved to the South when I was 17 and haven't left. You know how to conjugate y'all, right? I mean, it's y'all, all y'all, and all y'alls, right? Because so everybody's everything. It's possessive and. So again, the, the listenership in London and in the UK and in, in Germany is like turning the show off right now. Because <laughs> they're literally going, we don't get, well, okay, oh, we can talk about barbecue too. Let me make oh this God. good for my friends in Wisconsin. Use guys. Use okay? guys. Thank Let's you. Use guys. That is important. Wisconsin counts. Madison's beautiful. I love Madison, Wisconsin. All right, first story. This comes from American Banker. And actually, this is a really good show story. The, the title of it was New Era um, is focused on how tax cuts will drive strategy within banking for 2018. Um, I'm going to ask Ginger this because, again, Ginger and I have that consulting background with banks. Do you really think banks are going to invest 
they're going to take their money from the tax cuts and really invest in true innovation? No. Okay, next story is... <laughs> Moving your face forward like you're going to say yes. And I then was, no and then came Sam out. cut me off, so what are we going to do? Just drink some more of my beer. Um, so do I think the banks will spend that money around fintech and innovation? I do. I don't think they're going to innovate in-house, most of them. There are a few banks that will. There are a few banks that have their own their own labs, and they, they do a lot of good work, and, and you all know who they are. But I think most of the rest of them will do, much like we were talking about what Chase is doing, I think they'll invest the money in how do I work better with those fintechs that are out there that I want to to integrate with to, to, use their, to, to consume their technology to improve my own digital banking and payments capabilities. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't think that they're going to develop stuff in-house. So I'd like to get your feedback, all three of you's feedback, on a blog post that I'm currently writing, okay? I'm comparing Spanx to the tech industry and banking. And here's why. See, Catherine's eyes just went way up. She's trying to picture what the hell I'm talking about. Is that an Atlanta reference? Yeah, it was upper left, so I'm literally just thinking. she's thinking this out. So Spanx, right? So Spanx, um, uh, the the founder of Spanx has made billions, literally, is is a billionaire for inventing or, or coming up with undergarments, which basically hold um, excess. They streamline. They, make they us, streamline. They make us Jerry to your benefit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's actually a great product, right? I mean, it really does work. They make it for men. Very expensive. 60 bucks for a T-shirt. Not that I own one. Wait, you can buy a Spanx T-shirt? Uh, you can. Men's sizes. They really, huh. from personal experience, this is why I'm writing it. So when I when I hurt my ankle, I'm on the speaking circuit a lot. In order to fit into some of the suits, I had to wear a Spanx T-shirt. So It works. It's also incredibly hot and uncomfortable, and it actually doesn't fix anything, which is what I feel like banking has been doing in fintech now for the past couple of years, which is not addressing the core, and yes, that's a pun, core problem. We called it lipstick on a pig. I'm going to do a whole Spanx analogy. But here's why I find that interesting, and Catherine, I'm going to come to you, because you have you partner with banks. We do. Which is a... At what point did you make that move? When did you go down the? Is, would you call it a white when label? When we could, I mean, we we oh, sort of had answer. to. We had to prove that we could, you know, do something. We had to prove that it worked. You have to eat your own cooking, you know, whatever the metaphor is. And so, um, once it was working, and we demonstrated that we could um, launch a different kind of product on the same platform, then we were ready, and we started talking to folks. And it was amazing how ready and excited banks were to work with us. Um, but it's funny you mentioned fintech. Isn't it's just a new word for the same old thing that's been happening for a really long External time. External vendors, right? Banks are the first fintech companies. They've been using technology for a really long time. Ever since the second it was available, they were using it because it made sense for them. And they've also been partnering with technology companies for a long time. Most banks don't operate their core banking system. They don't operate their own lending systems, decisioning systems. You know, even the production of paper checks, I mean, they just don't manage all that stuff. Um, I mean, they don't build it. They, they manage it and they partner with folks. So what they're doing with companies like Cabbage is nothing new. It's just a, the next thing. I think what may be a little bit different or a little weird is that we lend directly to small businesses, and so do they. The difference is they're not lending to the customers that we do because it's hard for them because they don't have the technology. So that's a strange dynamic that we have to work around, and we're getting through it. It hasn't been a problem internationally because we're not directly lending internationally. Um, so in the U.S., it's a little bit different because we are, and so banks are going to figure out how to navigate those waters. So is all your lending internationally through the banks? Mm-hmm. With um, so Santander, ING, Scotiabank, those banks use our technology um, to make loans to their customers who are already banking with them or who they want to bank with them. Can we expand on that a little bit? Because we, we I don't think we touched on enough what Cabbage really does and who you're focused on. So can you talk a little bit about the typical customer that sure. you originally targeted? So I think what's important is not so much what there are all kinds of small businesses. 
businesses. We target small businesses, all of them, whatever they do, it doesn't make a difference to us. The difference is they're looking for less than a quarter of a million dollars of capital. And the reason banks have a hard time serving that customer is not because they don't want to serve them. 80% of our customers bank with the top 10 banks, but they can't get a loan from them because it costs the bank the same amount of money to originate a $10 million loan as it does a $10,000 loan. So they just don't do it because they don't make enough money. It's not economically feasible for them. So anyway, that's why we're partnering with institutions, because we can serve that small business because we use technology um, and real-time access to third-party data to be able to really cost-effectively serve that market, and the banks don't have that technology. And you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to trust the information that I'm getting directly from whatever the source is, from QuickBooks or from payment processing data or from social media, whatever that data is, I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to trust that the algorithm works. And um, that's a big leap, and I'm going to trust that I don't have to actually see that business. I don't have to walk into their store. I don't have to get a personal guarantee. You know, I don't have to actually watch customers going in and out of their front door. So is your, is your competitive advantage the algorithms themselves, the access to the data, or the desire to, to handle the, 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 the issues that the bank, do, or the customers that the bank doesn't want to do? Yes. All three? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. The user experience is important to us. So the customers are getting through the process in less than 10 minutes on average. Mm-hmm. Compared to a traditional bank application um, for a loan, it takes days, weeks. Um, it's, it's all kind, and it may involve a personal guarantee. It may involve depositing funds at the institution. It could involve all kinds of things that are really challenging for the business owner. Mostly it's takes a lot of time and that's the one thing that we're all short on is time I think that's a that's a great point I, the one thing that this that distinguishes a a, a, a typical bank play an offering uh, to a non-bank offering is that experience. I mean, I, my background's in user experience as well. And I can't tell you, uh, you know, there's there's job, there, you, you could have jobs all over the place uh, in Atlanta just doing UX for fintech companies because the banks are horrible at it. They, they're very functional and they, they give you a form as opposed to figuring out how you're going to use it. Ginger and I worked at Fiserv and you know, we spent a lot of time just trying to get things like, you know, bill payment right. And it's it's a, it's a challenge as I'll get out because banks don't get that yet. They'd like to be better. Yeah, they don't think that way. I did a project recently where I interviewed a number of small businesses and we had these discussions and it was, I have some great quotes out of people saying it, it's exactly this. I don't have time to worry about banking and payments. I need to run my business. I just need that to work. And so they go to the banks and they say, I need a line of credit. I need access to funds. And the bank says, well, I need all these 50, 50 things. I've, you've got volatile revenue. I can't count on you being able to repay the loan, so I can't front you the money. Or the bank says, you know, we have all these great products. What do you need? And the business says, I don't, just tell me. Just give me what I need. Like, stop asking me to pick from a, a menu of options. Just give me what I need to run my business so I cannot think about banking and payments and I can actually sell my product and develop it and do all the other things. And it was fascinating to, to talk to them because it was exactly that. I don't have time. I talked to one company who was working with four different acceptance providers. Mm-hmm because they didn't have time to streamline it down to one. So they were losing out on all their volume benefits. They were losing out on all the, 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 the ease of management because they had all this. I talked to other companies that, that had a line of credit with a major bank that they couldn't use because the, the, it wasn't big enough. It didn't have a, a, good, a good interest rate. It was not accessible, whatever it was, right? They couldn't, and they didn't have time to fix that and come talk to you guys or somebody else because they just had this dearth of, of 
bandwidth to take care of anything. It, it's almost a, there's a tragedy in that and there's the time so it will take to fix it is not worth it. There are so many things that can be solved, and the fintech has got so many problems to solve and so many uh, opportunities that that sometimes we move at scale too fast and, and forget about the fact that the, that that consumer experience has to be done well. And that's what that's what startups you can't go into a startup these days and not be focused on on the consumer experience and the user experience. All startups by by today are growing up with that Apple view of the world, which is get the experience right, right? Uh, and, and the technology will, will, is, is obviously, you got to have that. But, but if you don't get the experience right, you're not going to survive. But then you have startups that focus on only the experience and not on the actual means That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, without naming names, but we could easily do that, right? Where the, the surface layer looks so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let me give an example of that. What? Right? I was going to say, could you no, give me an example of that? Yeah, I will. I don't... Here's a great example of it. So I, um, we, we have the cryptocurrency craze right now, right? Although it's crashing, I think today. I could say that every other day. I, at some point <laughs> yeah. in every day, it crashes. It's just it, it is what it is, right? It's a roller coaster. However, um, I, if you go out and you sign up for any of the exchanges where you can purchase cryptocurrencies, um, so take your pick, uh, Bitcoin, um, not Coinbase, but some of the others, and you go through the sign up process, all of that's easy. And then they get to KYC, and literally you'll get a message which will say, "Please give us two to three weeks because we have extreme volume." To- what the hell? There you go, Catherine. That's a real example. We do that. In real time. I know. We do KYC. There's a, and I can give them like a million companies that would allow them via the API to do that. Hey, Laura, Spikerman, how you doing? Mm-hmm. There's a nice shout out for you and my friends at Trulio. But literally, uh, Laura always listens. We love Laura um, at Alloy. But honest to God, we're talking about a, a companies that are focused on revolutionizing the world, right, through technology, and they can't do KYC because they're manually validating that process. I think it's the single in in the in the credit card industry. It is the single biggest barrier to the experience is is onboarding mm-hmm. everything from KYC to to everything. And we all blame government regulations. It's not. It, it's it's you a, can do it. You can do it right. And, and Cabbage is a great example of that. We just um, the company that can get the onboarding experience great will gain the most customers. So we have a product called Pulse. So this is a nice shout out um, for 11FS. So we have a market research product called Pulse where we literally go out two different companies, and we focus on a single user journey, and we show a live video of that. And um, so it's not it's not screenshots, it's an actual video of a um, uh, authenticated user going through that. Please do us, please do us. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> after, after this, after this uh, trust me, there's all kind of conversations with Cabbage I'm going to have. Um, but within Pulse, do you know what our number one most viewed journey is? Onboarding. Mm-hmm. To the nth degree. And what we've got, the some of the most interesting feedback that we've gotten, for example, um, N26, so the bank in Germany, mm-hmm. um, the way that they do their onboarding, and it's Germany. Germany can put some some regulations on you, all right, as Germany. But to apply for N26 account, what happens is as, as you're going, and it's completely online, you're not going into a branch. But as part of that process, they open up a video chat, and the N26 employee is literally validating through the camera everything with you. And they do it in, they say, eight to ten minutes. And they're able to do that. And what we found is most of the banks that, that use Pulse with us literally pick up their laptop, sit down in front of compliance, and push play and just stare at them mm-hmm. and say, tell me why I can't do that. Tell me why I can't do that. Yeah. And then they're told, by the way. Yeah. Well, the, always has reasons. the yeah. com- compliance, see, there's two forms of compliance. That's what we've learned over the years. There's one, you know, against which you can push and one you can't. Regulatory compliance, of course, is what it is. But policy compliance, that's the one that everybody tries to hide behind. And it's just because there is a list of 17 things you have to do because some dude, an old guy, a long time ago said we had to do them. And there is no – you can question that 
policy compliance. And and you should, exactly. And that's the thing I think that stands in banks' way is they don't tend to question that that type of policy. It's important to have the right partners within the bank. When I was a centrist, I had a great partner in our in our security group who wanted to to do new things. So he would work with us to say, this is a great new technology. How do we work with everything that we've got to actually make it happen? As opposed to being the one that said no, no, no. He was like, how do we say yes? So and it was it was a great partnership and you need more people like that who want to be innovative but want to figure out how to do it within the structure of what, what's around. So here's my feedback for any of you that are, are somewhat new to consultancy or working in consultancy right here. So this is uh, the, the gray-haired guy giving his feedback. And, and, and Ginger, I'm sure you can jump into this too. There's, there's three people I always targeted when I, when I worked with the bank. Um, one was I found um, a hero, if you will, or somebody I focused on in procurement because that was just hell, right? So procurement is one. Um, the, the, the second was on who owned the budget. I don't, I don't care if you have a project. It, it got to who owns the money, who owned the purse string, because that's the one that mattered. And the third was compliance. I, I, I consider legal part of compliance. I, I blended them in. But those were those were the areas where I always looked for a hero and somebody I had a personal contact with and somebody I could sit across the table and say, all right, here's why. All right? Not, not trading emails and not trading phone calls, but literally a one-on-one relationship. One of the challenges you have, I mean, I know from a credit card processing, one of the challenges that we view compliance is you're either compliant or you're not, right? It's not a binary. Yeah, there's no state, gray, right? I mean, the, the best companies out there are going and saying, "Listen, we'll allow you to we'll allow you to process this much money with the information we have now, and another week we may be able to allow you to have more. At least you can get a business off the ground with a certain amount of information. Instead, they view, nope, it's going to take a week to get you approved. Therefore, you can't do business for another week, which is an, an unacceptable answer to a small business." Yeah, I, I find I, I just think it's interesting, and I know you had to go through this, Catherine, as as you were coming up, um, working with it had to be regulators that that you had to meet with, or the compliance side when you were white labeling. Do you, do you white label to banks, or is it just a okay, so the actual product? First of all, we're doing we're doing sorry we're doing that internationally, so it's a different experience internationally than it is here. Slightly. So we're not we're not interacting with regulators. We're just basically a software solution that those banks are using to serve the customers they already serve today. In the U.S., however, because we are a balance sheet lender. I spend a lot of time with every three and four letter agency you can imagine um, at the federal and the state level. So um, we are actively, actively engaged with them all the time. And it's really important to us. We have a culture of compliance here at the company, which is unusual in the fintech community. I don't know if you guys went to Lended or if you've been going to Lended over the yeah. years. Um, it was Lended right before the Mother's Day Massacre, which was um, 20 May of 2016, um, I think that's right, where all of a sudden they were all like compliance, 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 compliance. It's really important. Like they'd never heard the word before. They were just like, oh, no, we're fintech companies. We can just do whatever we want. You know, and so I think because we've always had that culture here of it's really important to take care of customers and to follow the rules and to do all the right stuff, it's it's been um, part of what we do and who we are. But it's not always like that. That's why these, um, you know, Bitcoin companies they, they don't have a way to manage KYC in an automated fashion because they probably didn't realize they had to do it until they already built the other stuff. You know, great, a great example of that, one of the companies that were over at ATDC, um, called, a company called Ground Floor. And if you haven't seen them yet, it's one of my favorites in Atlanta. Ground Floor? Ground Floor. Go check them out. Um, Groundfloor.ai, right? Isn't org, that their, I think. Oh, .org, okay. They're .org. one of the companies that moved to Atlanta right. after they were already established. And, and what I love about, about that team, Brian and the team are just are absolutely the shit, as you said before, and with a big emphasis on the. Um, they're, they're awesome. But but what they did is they knew, they, they, got, they have SEC experience. They knew... 
down to every little detail, all the nooks and crannies, and they found creative ways to get into the cracks and then eventually work their way back to try to get policy and, and to work with policy. So, you know, they started small in Georgia. Uh, they basically, they, they offer, allow you and I to, to make uh, uh, investments or make uh, donations or investments into a fund and that then get reused by companies that are doing uh, fix-ups on, on real estate, basically in that real estate market. Uh, and they're very, very successful to the point that they, they sell out their portfolio all the time. It's quite a demand. But they started, you know, locally in Georgia, get it right, get get the next 10 states right, and then and then worked it up. But they were dogging the SEC side of that equation every single day of their lives. They knew that stuff in inside and out. And if that was their com that was the competitive differentiator was because they knew that, they knew how to walk around the places that, you know, companies like Lending Tree and others have had so many problems with because they stayed special to what they were trying to do and very true to it. And uh, mark my words, they're they're, they're big. They're going to be big. So one of my favorite quotes, and I use this probably every time we do a State of the Union show, is a, a friend of mine named Mike Dudas, who's in um, um, New York. Mike was a Braintree guy. Yeah, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah, Mike's, okay. yeah Mike was Braintree, Google Wallet, um, a button, and now he's just left work in the blockchain space. Yeah. I, just announced, I was like, oh, my God, Mike, what's wrong with you? Um, but when I asked him about, especially when he was at Braintree and some of the others, I said, what's, what's a single-sentence word of advice that you would give to folks at, at entrepreneurs or that want to get into the space? And he said, find a problem that is very narrow and very deep yeah. and solve that. And solve it incredibly well. The pressures are as simple as that is, Sam. I mean, it's not simple. That's incredibly it, it complicated. Is inc it's incredible because of the peer pressure. And I'll just give you a, a quick example. Uh, I just wanted to learn more about Alexa, so I decided to pick up the programming skills again and and built a little app. And all I wanted to do is I I got frustrated because all I wanted was to know the windshield factor. It's been darn cold here recently for Atlanta, right? Um, and in all the there's not a single app out there that told you on Amazon Alexa what the windshield was. It would tell you the weather. It would tell you you know. All the things that tell you fronts are coming in and some great information, but it didn't tell me what I, what kind of jacket I needed to wear to walk the dogs. On Alexa. On Alexa. Okay, interesting. So so I just that thought, is, that you would have thought, I, I was blown away. I, I looked at every single app. So I finally went out and uh, just wrote it myself this last week. And all I wanted to do was to report the wind chill or the heat index if you're living in Florida when that happens, right? Yeah. So detect it and just say, it feels like this. You know, the wind's this much and it feels like this. Be done in five seconds. When I put that out to people, oh, you need to include this. And have you thought about the UV index? And everybody glommed onto it and wanted to turn it into... Go creep. Yeah, into weather.com. Oh Thank you, Ginger. And what it came down to when I finally released it, I just got approved. Uh, it's on the store now. It's called Feels Like Advertisement. Good name. Yes. Shameless plug and everybody go get it right yeah. now. <laughs> but, but basically all you say is feels like, you know, ask feels like. And it'll tell you within, you know, a couple seconds what it feels like. People are already glomming on to it, wanting to make it a lot more, and I'm done. Is it only That's, for Alexa? Can I, I have Google Home. Can I use that? No, but you, they have now the, the Android and iOS apps now for there you can use to, to do those yeah, things. Yeah, we're so, getting all these different ecosystems. There's another problem. But see, Apple's the, coming out with one soon, too. Oh, I know. I'm oh, very excited about it. It's supposed to be super, super good. All of us who have Alexa. What's that look for, Sam? I, I just, I, I, I'm thrilled and yet discouraged because, again, we have all these ecosystems, right? Google Home, Alexa. Um, Apple will come out with one. Um, I'm shocked Facebook hasn't done anything yet, but God knows they will, right? And then Alibaba will, and then take your pick. So we're basically becoming these tribes yet again. We already have it on phone, right? You're either Android or Apple. There's no well, Google Pixel. Is that the what one? are we all in this room? I'm Apple. What I'm Android. Oh, you're. I'm, but I'm, but I'm, a Mac, I'm a Mac bigot. I I love my Mac. I'll fight over my Mac all day long. But I don't. I'm not a big iOS fan. This guy used to have an Apple on his. 
PC at Fiserv. <laughs> I had oh a PC. I, did, I couldn't stand it. Yeah. So, but but I love my Android. I don't like an iOS device. Yeah, it's amazing how that's moved on, right? Oh, speaking of moving on, <laughs> that's the worst segue. <laughs> it's the beer, but this is really good. What he's saying is, you people are super boring. I gotta drive this. I've got literally six minutes left, and I did one story. Um, so I do want to tie into this one real quick, and then I want to talk about Amazon Go because that is hilarious. So really quick, uh, there's a story in Business Insider. Nobody laughed, um, but we like Business Insider. We got some friends that, that work that have been great with us. Three major incumbents are dedicating funds to fintech, and here's who they name. Um, the story just went out on the 18th. BB&T has announced a $50 million fund to invest and acquire emerging fintech companies. Then uh, Standard Charter in the UK has announced another uh, multi-million dollar investment. I think theirs is actually a $3 billion fund. Good job, Standard Charter. They got $3 billion. Yeah. Uh, they launched that in 2015. And then SBI Holdings, which I believe is Japan, if I'm not mistaken, um, has another $180 million investment fund that they've set up. Isn't that SoftBank? Isn't that amazing? I think it's SoftBank. SBI it is SoftBank. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, that yeah. should be a familiar name. Yeah. Cabbage. I, we know a little bit about them. Yeah, you might. Just for our, our listeners, there might have been some sort of uh, deal between SoftBank and, and Cabbage. So we've had these three. These are incredibly three different banks, by the way, though. I have to say that. Comparing – this is the only thing I find funny with the story. Comparing BB&T to Standard Chartered and then SoftBank is like – Comparing, Apples I don't and know. Pomegranates. Yeah, it's like comparing the um, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, that's the name of our baseball team, to the Atlanta Braves. Is it really? That's pretty yes. adorable. That is cute. Isn't that cute? Yeah. It is. It's yeah. super cute. We almost beat New England last night, everybody. We'll move on. Um, but but literally, I'm not calling BB&T the, jum- the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp of banking, but a, a super regional. They're or, relatively smaller than the other players. Yes. I mean, do you not find that comparison a bit funny? So what do you think of, uh, Ginger, I'm looking at you, $30 million by BB&T investing to work with fintech companies. Right move? Good move? Eh, maybe. It's a good PR move. I think that they want to. You just said a good PR move. I heard you. I did. Paul Asimo, I love you. I love Paul, too. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. There are talented people at BB&T, Paul being one of them. There's a shout out for us. Um, I I think think they they want to invest money in the space, and they'll have to, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they deploy it, right? But it's a much smaller player in a much smaller market than Standard Chartered and SBI. So how much impact they can have will be interesting to watch for. I would agree. It, it, I mean, just setting aside a fund of um, tens of millions of dollars doesn't solve your problems. Good. Let's move on. That's like giving an allowance to your kids. Let's move past that real quick because we only have like five minutes left. Let's talk about Amazon Go because that to me is just kind of cool, right? Um, drifting outside of our what we do every day. So this whole idea of having a store where you walk in and walk out, think it's going to work? I'm, I'm looking right at World Pay Boy. Uh, what do you think, Joe? This uh, is this. Come on, yeah. geek engineering. World Pay Boy. Yeah. Oh, we got 98 wow. World Pay Boy and Ginger. Jeez. Why in God's name do you have so many kids like me? Did oh, you not so, learn why from are you me? Fun of me? You have four kids. Like, I know. I'm stupid. I admit oh, it. Right, so I'll never then. retire. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Apparently. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> all right. So so World Pay Boy, and then we'll go to 98, and then we'll go to. It's interesting. All all the magazines have been have been asking a lot about this lately, and obviously, especially since you know, um, since there was such a a, a perceived failure. You know, they, they announced this early in 2017, and and um, and they didn't deliver, and and it's a tough problem. I think you know everybody's focusing on what technology are you using to do this, and they're forgetting about the experience. Do do people? What problem am I really trying to solve? And that whole problem is is got a lot of psychological elements to it. For instance. Just leaving a store, is there an uneasiness that you know what you got or that it, it was fair to you or that you did right? Oh, there's, a, there's a lot of small little experience issues they're going to have to get over. The technology, though, was what, is what 
stymied them, right? And everybody's predicting whether it was going to be, you know, shelf weight, if it was going to be cameras, it was going to be RFID. And it turns out all it looks like it's going to be nothing but a huge array of cameras, right? And some and a barcode reader you come in as well as shelf weight, right? But the key of what Amazon did is they figured out a way to integrate lots of different forms of information. So they've got video, they've got uh, weight sensors, they've got, you know, QR codes, and then maybe they'll do RFID. It's, it's that n not a single sensor has one version of the truth. It takes a myriad, it, you know, it takes a village <laughs> uh, to, to find out what really happened. It, it takes that many sensors to figure out what in the heck is a human trying to do by taking it out, putting it back, taking it out, putting it over here, leaving it here, having my daughter go over there to go get something, bringing it back to my cart. What does that all mean? Requires a, a level of thinking that we haven't really perfected yet. And that's why it's going to be a while before we get that in anything larger than a cubby store. Is it really something we need? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I was in the grocery store yesterday. You can yesterday. tell I don't shop, by the way. <laughs> well, I was there yesterday um, and at the store. And there was a, the longer line was for self-checkout. And it's not so much because I don't want to be checked out or don't want to talk to somebody. I actually really like talking to people as I'm checking out of the grocery store. But everybody's got like a million things in the other lines. And I had seven things. And I was in a hurry. And I wanted to get out of there. And a lot of people do that. They shop, you know, every day. So I feel like it does save time. I do want to go through that process more expeditiously. You know, though, when I lived in the UK, and that was a while ago, it's like 2006 and all that, um, my wife would shop online. We lived in a small village. She shopped online at Tesco or, or Sansbury's, and they just delivered, and it was a wonderful experience. Don't you want to see that. your banana or your no, pear before it you buy it? it was, you are actually, not a control freak. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not. But, but what, what we saw was, it. but if it came in and it was damaged, they had other goods that you could take. And my wife, the habit of it, she loved. I should bring Mindy they on the show. Other good. So you order bananas? They said, no, I have a pecan pie. No, no. If the bananas came and they were bruised, <laughs> what's wrong with pecan pie, dude? Oh, it's great. Pie a pecan, in the I'm South. sorry. I'm sorry. That's my Wisconsin roots. But no, I mean, I literally, the whole experience of walking into a store annoys the tar out of me. I only shop online. Yeah. I do too, exclusively, but for groceries. Um, so really? I, yeah. If, if you could have it delivered, because I know that's failed over and over in the I could. There's this whole thing US. called Instacart. Yeah, that yeah. comes. DoorDash. I see they're driving around my neighborhood all the time, but I like to go to the grocery store. So, so I'm, I'm with you on the produce. Like I love Instacart because I, I, I'm my whole family was sick this week, and so I was able to order ginger ale and Gatorade and bananas and other things just to I don't have to go out of the house or I can they can it's thing. yeah right. but generally speaking if I use them I use them for cereal and box stuff and if produce I go to the store to get it so I'm I with use you Amazon that. for that so I stopped buying stuff at Whole Foods that I could buy on Amazon yeah, so I totally see why they bought them do you use the buttons or not no no, no. yeah no, that's been a major flop I have a phone I walk around with a button in my hand all the time I can yeah. just, oh like, that is a great quote thanks you God, you should run a company. All right. So, Believe it or not, we got to close. We're wrapped. We're, we're an hour in. It's in a suck. You just want to keep going. Well, we'll keep going. We just won't bring them with us. Eh, that's true, because the beer is really good. All right. On that oh, note, I'm this, glad you like it. I like it, you know. Um, on that note, this wraps up another Fintech Insider State of the Union show. I want to thank each of my guests. I got 98. I got Rollpay Boy. I got Ginger. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Sam Mall or drop me a line at Sam at 11FS.com. Come talk to us at Fintech Insiders on Twitter or our podcast at 11FS.com if you want to send us an email. Also, take a look at Fintech Insider News. We love that community. It's been great. As always, if you like what you heard this week or you need someone to translate the Southern speak, call me. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you.